Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is Sarah Reith with a half-hour special on opioid treatment providers in the community. Mendocino County is number one in the state for overdose deaths. People suffering from addiction to opioids show up in emergency rooms, at clinics, in jail, at the doors of nonprofit organizations, fitness centers, and church. It seems like everybody knows somebody who has either struggled with addiction or has died from overdose, and it's causing a lot of grief. Reverend Michelle Robbins has been the pastor at Ukiah United Methodist Church for four years. She says the grief caused by opioid overdose is always there. And it really is affecting our mental health as a community. We are all connected, and when we know, um, when we have a friend whose adult child has passed away because of overdose, it it affects more than just that family. It radiates out into the community, and the the grief is um, pretty intense right now. We do uh, community prayer, and it seems like uh, it's always there. There's always um, somebody praying for somebody who is either dealing with addiction or dealing a family dealing with the loss of of a loved one. It's a problem that requires a multifaceted solution and more of them. That's what Dr. Lynn Taylor at the Mendocino Coast Clinic is trying to do. She's the medical assisted treatment manager for the clinic's outpatient program for opiate use disorder. Well, we like to support the patient um, holistically, which has several factors, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, which would be medically. So we prescribe medication to help the person through their withdrawal process from opiates, as well as um, it helps them stop their cravings for opiate use. And it's prescribed by uh, our providers, and we have four different providers here at the clinic that are able to work with people. And then we also have a whole team of people to support them. We have two case managers, which helps them with prescriptions and scheduling appointments and referrals or any other medical needs they might need, as well as meeting with them individually. And one of our case managers has bilingual skills, so we can work with the Spanish-speaking population. And then uh, we have a what we call a peer recovery specialist, and that is someone that is in uh, recovery themselves and walked that path of recovery. And he speaks from his personal experiences meeting the patient where they are in their recovery process. And then we have a registered nurse on our program, and she helps with medications or other medical needs that may be necessary. And then we also offer support groups. Uh, We have what we call a Suboxone support group, and Suboxone is the name of the medication we prescribe. And we have a support group for that, and we work with anger management as well as um, anxiety and those kind of uh, issues that may come up. And then we also have a licensed social worker for therapy for one-on-one individuals counseling sessions. So how long have you had this program going? We've expanded it in the past two years. I've originally worked for the clinic for um, close to seven years uh, with a medical assisted treatment. It was just myself until about two years ago when we were awarded a SAMHSA, which is a federal grant. We were granted a $2.5 million 
grant over a five-year period. So we were able to rent additional building space and hire a whole team of people, which is really exciting. We've been able to do a lot more outreach with that. So have you seen any trends in the, the drugs that are available to people? Yeah, unfortunately, fentanyl is now the number one drug of choice out there and um, is killing people that usually may have relapsed and then come back to the program. Sometimes don't get that chance because it's so deadly. The drugs are a lot stronger. They're a lot more addicting. And um, it's being put in all sorts of drugs. So even if they're trying to buy meth or cocaine and not aware that there's fentanyl in there, they may die from using that because they're not aware of it. We also offer fentanyl testing kits. So if they want to continue using drugs or choose to continue using drugs, we can offer them a, a way to test their drugs to see if it's safe or not to take. Keeping people safe while they're still using drugs is a key component of the philosophy of harm reduction. Joe Ditto is the harm reduction program manager at McCavin, the Mendocino County AIDS and Viral Hepatitis Network. They're based in Ukiah, but they travel throughout the county, offering services to people in outlying areas. Ditto runs the needle exchange and provides Narcan and Naloxone, medications that reverse opioid overdose. The idea of harm reduction is to not stigmatize individuals for using substances, but rather to keep them safe while they're transitioning from their addiction into recovery or to an abstinence-based approach. Harm reduction is all about reducing those barriers that, you know, impact their daily lives. So, you know, decreasing the spread of disease, hep C, HIV, by providing clean supplies. And one of the luxuries I have of working in the exchange, they could see individuals come through the exchange and then they show up one day and they're ready for the medicated assisted treatment program or even linkage to rehab. Harm reduction is just all about reducing those barriers, stigmas around using and, um, you know, supporting the individual where, where they are at. Ditto says even if you don't use, chances are you know someone who does. Joanna Olson, the executive director of McCavin, is evangelical about getting Narcan and Naloxone into the community. We're really interested in developing this, a little pilot project this fall among parents and teenagers. And, you know, on the casual side, we say not your ordinary Tupperware party. We would like people to invite us into their homes and they have their, their parent friends over or even invite us to their church hall. They bring teenagers who want to be stewards and carrying a lockdown and train the parents and train the teenagers and train coaches in Narcan use and have them carry it in their vehicles. Normalize it to have Narcan on hand in case somebody you know has an incident. It's still important to call 911 after you've administered an overdose reversal medication. The injectable form of naloxone is longer lasting while Narcan, the nasal spray, wears off a lot more quickly. There's still a danger that the person who overdosed can go into life-threatening withdrawal. Managing withdrawal symptoms is an important part of treating people who are incarcerated, where it's usually, but not always, much more difficult to obtain fentanyl. Dr. Elliot Wade is the regional medical director for the Western States for NAFCARE, the company that provides health care to inmates at the Mendocino County Jail. He currently oversees 22 jails in eight different states. He spoke with KZYX yesterday morning. The rough numbers, um, I looked at them this morning. So currently, as of this morning, there were 24 patients um, in custody who are currently on treatment um, in some form of treatment. So either they are... um, very early in their incarceration, and so they're on a um, on medication to prevent going into withdrawal. 
And then there's a number of patients who are also on what we call maintenance uh, uh, medication uh, to treat their addiction disorder. In the last 12 months, there have been 161 uh, individual patients who've been on treatment for opioid use disorder. Percentage-wise, I think given the usual um, daily population, that would come out to about 15 to 20% of the incarcerated individuals presently at Mendocino County are on some form of treatment. What are some of the, um, the medically assisted treatments that people can be on a regimen for that they take themselves and what needs to be administered by a physician? Like how, how much intervention is needed with this course of treatment that's currently available? So the forms of treatment that are available, I think many people have heard of methadone. There's also buprenorphine. Some of the brand names are Suboxone or Subutex. That's usually going to be a film strip uh, that's taken, uh, that you put in your mouth. And then there's a medication, as I noted earlier, called naltrexone. All of those need to be prescribed by a physician. But as you noted, the, the way in which they're done is different. So typically methadone, you're going to be receiving that at a methadone clinic. Um, that's going to be in person. Generally speaking, it's going to be six days a week, so typically Monday through Saturday. And then most people are getting what's called a take-home dose on Saturday to take on Sunday because usually those clinics aren't open. The buprenorphine is something typically uh, prescribed by a physician and picked up at a pharmacy. And somebody uh, gets that medication and they take it themselves at home. And naltrexone is typically an oral pill that can be picked up at a pharmacy and uh, taken at home as well. There's a form of naltrexone called Vivitrol, which is an injectable form that can be injected uh, in a doctor's office. All of those are simply just the medications. And so it's a part of the treatment, but not all of the treatment. And so we often say that other parts of treatment that are needed are counseling, meeting uh, your peers, having peer support, having uh, recovery groups. If you are um, involved in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, that can be helpful. Having a sponsor, seeking mental health treatment if you have a mental health disorder, going to church if, if you're spiritual, if that's a, a source of strength for you, and on down the line. And so it's the medication in conjunction with those other things out in the community that can help people recover um, and live a life of sobriety. And which of these treatments are available in the jail? At the jail, we have um, all forms. So we have buprenorphine, methadone, and naltrexone. We have to partner with a local methadone clinic in order to, to get those people taken care of. And what about the, the counseling and the groups and the, the other forms of therapy that, that kind of help people address some of the things that, that might have led to their addiction in the first place? That's a tough thing uh, within a jail, but we do partner with the Mendocino Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, uh, which is a you know, part of Mendocino County. Um, and so they do have staff uh, available for that. But of course, you know, so, some of those classes are limited based on people being in jail, um, if that makes sense. So there's a number of other things that are occurring throughout the day, including patients going to court. Is there a way to offer follow-up treatment to inmates once they get out to help them manage their addiction, or, um, or do they tend to kind of fall off the radar? 
So we, again, we do partner with Mendocino Community Health Clinic, as well as the uh, Mendocino Behavioral Health and Recovery Services. And so we um, have a discharge planner um, that helps link people while they're still in, uh, in custody uh, to meet with them, see what's going on, see what's happening with their court, with their release date, and then coordinating for at least the goal is a same-day appointment on the date of release. Obviously, if somebody's going to get released, um, like on a Sunday, that's not going to happen. And so it would be connecting them, making sure that, hey, we have an appointment on Monday. I think the hard part becomes just because somebody has an appointment, they don't necessarily go. But all we can do is try to do that and, you know, try to make it happen and, and give somebody every chance uh, for success. Austin Peterson stays away from describing recovery as a success, preferring instead to track the long, slow progress. He's a substance use navigator for Adventist Health at Howard Memorial and the Mendocino Coast Hospitals. When they make that first appointment and they're treated well, that's like the, the gold star of what we do. Because um, abstinence, while is kind of, I think, what we all want, it's also not the goal of our program in some weird way because that's for the later parts of treatment. We're, we're middle of the ground. We're just trying to get people to appointments and help them feel a little bit better about themselves today so that maybe they don't have to use as much tomorrow, you know, because so much of addiction is based in the spiral of shame and guilt and regret and all of those deep, dark feelings that trouble you that if we can be one person to like treat them decently and remind them that like humans need help, then that's us winning. Um, also being like, hey, you know, if you were to get off drugs, probably life would be a little bit better too. So um, we see everything from, you know, uh, complete abstinence and what uh, would be called recovery to, to, you know, MAT programs, which is a form of recovery um, to, yeah, relapse is a part of the deal. Peterson works under the California Bridge model, which started at Highland Hospital in Alameda County in 2018 and came to Howard a year later. Adventists adopted the program at all three of its hospitals in Mendocino County in 2021. So, you know, a patient will come in overdosed and or with chronic, you know, chronic use health concerns going on. And they, um, you know, we have a conversation. We try to figure out where exactly they are, you know, meet them there and then guide them into treatment, uh, whether that's. Uh, MAT, um, medical assisted treatment for opioid disorder, or outpatient rehab, inpatient rehab, whatever they're really ready for. We let them kind of drive the conversation in one aspect to, because we use a lot of, come from more of a harm reduction background. Typically, we try to meet the patient, um, kind of figure out some of their background stuff, whether that's their health insurance or the transportation barriers. Um, things like that, and then refer them to the most appropriate place. Like on the coast, there's an organization, uh, MCC, Minnesota Coast Clinics, has a dedicated MAP program, and we will actually start them on some form of medication uh, of, with buprenorphine, either Suboxone is like the trade name, in the hospital if it's appropriate, and uh, we do a little brief script in between to help them make sure they have enough medication to get the, to that appointment. Peterson says a large part of the bridge program is approaching patients without stigmatizing them. He says there's one navigator full-time at each hospital, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Really what we bring to the table is a non-judgmental year. Um, you know, a lot of the substance use navigators have some personal history with addiction, whether it's in the family or a personal struggle with it. 
And so we kind of bring a non-clinical view into a very clinical environment, which is helpful because people with addiction tend to be really sensitive to um, judgment and also have had these past experiences where the clinical people asking them in a very professional manner have, you know, stigmatized them. And so when we come in, we just bring that different energy into the room that allows them to feel comfortable and open up and start to, you know, have a more uh, honest conversation sometimes. Peterson refers patients to the substance use disorder treatment programs through the county's behavioral health department, the Ukiah Recovery Center, and a variety of treatment centers throughout the region. Olson and Ditto at McCavin say that in spite of the sprawling networks of service providers, there's not nearly enough for the scope of the problem. And does McCavin still offer treatment for hep C to, to cure people? Yes, we do. And that is through um, Dr. Ace Parrish, but also we have a team of interns that come over from Adventist Health that are on rotation and on calendar so that people can be served pretty frequently mm-hmm. through the MAT clinic. What I want to make really clear is that McCavin serves people cross-sector in this community. We serve people who are houseless and transient, that is for sure, and that's what people mostly know about. What they don't understand is that we do serve on occasion youth and they're served confidentially here and we serve business people in this community. We serve people from every sector of the communities throughout Mendocino confidentially. And are there enough treatment providers in the community to satisfy the need? No, not even. In fact, there's not enough funding. At the local level, the funding supporting opioid use disorder treatment is very little. There's almost an expectation at the at the local level that agencies such as McCavin will outside source and look for other grants from the state, federal level, or foundation. With that, there's not enough of those grants either. There's not enough funding to meet the need, and those other grants are competitive, and many of them want to fund urban areas as opposed to rural Joe and another member of our team, Sean Horn, advocated at the state level they marched with other harm reduction providers so that the harm reduction funds could continue because they were slated to be cut off the budget this year. And with the opioid epidemic throughout the state of California, it was important that voices were heard. And so our team went to Sacramento and marched. And that group of people were successful in getting those funds to go through. So those funds will continue, but again, they're not enough. Many of those funds get released to counties. So the funds come from the state to the county, and then it's up to the county to release those funds to provide services. That's not happening very much in Mendocino, unfortunately. I've had the luxury of applying for a few mini grants since December that have gone to help uh, us build our cooling station out front that actually provides a spot to drop in the shade with misters, um, a water dispenser, you know, just provide, you know, that cross-sector of the community a spot to drop when it's hot. But alternatively, in the winter, it's a warming station, so it serves it around. Um, Locally, there needs to be a commitment of funding that the Board of Supervisors approves of to combat opioid overdose within Mendocino County without funding it's not going to get reduced. It will only increase. Do you have any theories or insights on why Mendocino County is number one in the rate of of overdose deaths? That's a hard topic. 
But um, here are things that we do know. We do know that we have cartel here that heavily supported the marijuana industry when that was lucrative. And when that became less lucrative nationwide, but also in Mendocino, cartels started supporting illegal drug sales. So there is that. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like Sonoma County or, you know, counties in the barrier are much different with the, with the amount of drugs coming into the county. But I feel like because Mendocino County is a smaller community, a more rural community. We're reporting. And, and that we are reporting mm-hmm. that the numbers get populated a little bit more than other counties. Now, on the dashboard, there, there probably is some truth to what Joe is sharing. And that is that, for instance, in the community of Elk, where on the dashboard for overdose, they populate a high percentage it's because that is such a caring, supportive community that people know when someone has experienced an overdose, whether it resulted in death or they were able to turn it around, reverse it. So it's reported. And that might be one of the reasons that Mendocino County has a higher rate is more due to reporting. I'm not going to say accurately reporting because there's always a percentage of not reporting that occurs. But there is um, a high incident of opioid use here. We can't deny that. And the services are not adequate to meet the need. There's sort of a grim level of optimism in that. Correct. Yeah. You're correct. Fentanyl is stronger, cheaper, and more addictive than anything that's hit the streets in a long time. Now a heavy-duty animal tranquilizer called xylazine, or Trank, has arrived in Mendocino County. That's being mixed in with other street drugs, which is especially dangerous because a xylazine overdose can't be reversed with Narcan. Like the Mendocino Coast Clinics, McCavin offers testing kits to people who use street drugs so they'll know what they're getting. But another huge gap in care for opioid use disorder is that there's a real shortage of Spanish-speaking providers. Dr. Lynn Taylor at the Mendocino Coast Clinics has bilingual staff, but there's another gap in her neighborhood. Uh, I would tell you a huge gap is we have no detox center here on the coast. We have to send them to Ukiah if they need detox from any other substance use. The other huge gap is we have no residential programs on the coast, so we have to either send them to Ukiah or out of um, county, like Humboldt or Lake County or something like that, if they need a residential treatment program. Do you know of anyone who is um, prepared to offer that kind of treatment, who's kind of standing by and saying, you know, if if uh, if we could get some help or some funding or something, we would... We would do that on the coast. Yeah, we, I, I've been in contact with a couple of people, and to be perfectly honest, on the coast, the problem is housing or a residential building, you know, because it has to be like a home. And to be perfectly honest, um, the neighbors aren't usually real thrilled about thinking of having a, res- a residential rehab place in their neighborhood. And it's expensive, you know, so, you know, you would have to get funding and all that. It, it would be a big process, but it is definitely needed. If I was younger, I would take it on. <laughs> available for someone to get their eye on it and they're like, oh, if only I could just get a little push over the finish line, I could do it. No, there was a time when one of the people I used to work with regularly uh, was looking for private investment and thinking they had a lead on it, but actually securing and getting it licensed for that kind of, for that typical type of business would be very challenging. 
Pastor Michelle Robbins at the Ukiah United Methodist Church says detox facilities for kids are a glaring omission. We also have an issue of needing more people who are from the Spanish-speaking community uh, to be able to be counselors for folks who understand uh, culturally how to work with people from the Spanish-speaking community. So it seems to be more that needs to be done for our young people to prevent them from becoming adults with these same problems. It's a, it's a expensive problem to deal with, but it is so necessary to have those resources to be able to deal with um, kids that really, really need a detox center, really, really need counselors that can help them with trauma that they've been through. And uh, it is an area that is high in trauma. We definitely know that Mendocino County has been a place of trauma. It was the place of the California Trail of Tears. And if we're not able to deal with the trauma, our historical trauma, I think we're really doing a disservice to the whole community because we are all connected and trauma does radiate out to others. Jackie Williams, the executive director of the Ford Street Project, which includes the Ukiah Recovery Center, is working on expanding her recovery offerings. I'm pleased and grateful that we received um, behavioral health funding from the Department of Healthcare Services, over $3 million to build a new treatment pavilion on our existing uh, property. And we've also submitted a request for proposal to build a 24-bed sober living dormitory at the same site, and with the request for proposal went to the Measure B committee. Clover Martin, the treatment services coordinator at Ford Street, thinks the new pavilion would double or even triple some of the program's services. The existing sober living building would be repurposed to expand our withdrawal management services, our detox services. So currently we have six detox beds. With that expansion, it would go up to 18. And currently we have 34 residential beds. And with the expansion, it would go up to 44. And we would also increase our outpatient services, which right now we can um, have about 15 in outpatient, and it would double that also. Austin Peterson, the substance use navigator at Adventist Health, is focused on reducing stigma. I think there's a lot of things we do really well here, but I think that there's other opportunities for us to improve. Reducing stigma around drug use is one of those. And so just to communicate to the public that, you know, addiction is a disease that grows in the dark and that the cure for addiction is, is community. Dr. Elliot Wade, who oversees medical treatment at the jail for NAFCARE, identified gaps all throughout society. I think some of the gaps are sort of, you know, what you noted in some of your questions. Hey, what's your data when you leave? The hard part for, for my company is that we're on the inside of the jail, and so we don't have the data on the outside. I would have to defer to our partners like Mendocino Community Health Clinic and the, the Behavioral Health Recovery Services to see, well, of the people who have made appointments, who has shown up with a thought that at least showing up is much more likely to lead to success than somebody who doesn't. Again, it's saying that the attitude has changed and has gotten better, but it's not perfect. And so still trying to find people who have the older kind of attitude about none of these people need treatment and just say, hey, people deserve treatment. And it's okay to have your personal feeling about um, 
illicit drug use, but hey, I need we need to be able to do the job and get people treated correctly. I think another one of the gaps is probably just funding of making sure that we have that these patients have all the resources that they need because sometimes it's not just the medication itself it can be all those other things well transportation to getting to that clinic appointment or having stable housing having stable employment in order to be able to have a solid base from which somebody is working being able to have consistent uh, mental health care treatment if somebody needs it, being able to see your counselor on a routine, timely basis, if that's something that's needed as well, being able to get to church if the spiritual connection is something for that person. And so it can be all these little things together um, that can help people on their path to recovery. I mean, if you have your medication, you have your appointments, but you don't have a car and you don't have a place to stay. What does recovery look like? For KZYX News, I'm Sarah Reif. We just spent a half hour skimming the surface of the opioid crisis in Mendocino County. Now to the world in progress.